Well, they couldn't agree, obviously. Strachan plays it in. The header finds the net. And Aberdeen are back in the match once more. Alec McLeish. Alec McLeish gives Aberdeen a chance. What a great goal it was. Now, just watch this free kick. And if you think for one minute that Strachan and McMaster were in any kind of confusion... You're wrong. They were doing this quite deliberately with a carefully rehearsed piece of tomfoolery to deceive the German defence, and it worked. Strachan went back, took the free kick, but Klisch stretched those neck muscles, and Muller couldn't keep it out. So, hello there. This was meant to be the second half of a podcast for the week during which we put Kilmarnock at the Scottish Cup on penalty kicks. However, this little segment, which uh, we invited you to send in your questions via Twitter, ended up taking a little bit longer than we expected. So here it is as a standalone podcast, basically one hour of you asking and us, well, trying to answer, but really just rambling generally about the Dons. We hope you enjoy it, and uh, yeah, who knows? We might do this again in the future. Uh, only if we can, only if we can self-edit just that little bit better, though. Yeah, it was a case of ask us anything, and we'll try and stumble our way towards an answer. So uh, a lot of variety of stuff. If if you've listened to the podcast every week, no doubt we'll have touched on some of these themes before. It'll be like when a when a band that used to be good and used to be big bring out a new album and have to put like a a, a greatest hits live album as a bonus CD uh, to get you to buy the new record. Uh, so yeah, a lot of the stuff we will have touched on before. I think we've reached a point in the last couple of weeks where there has been. A lot of noise around the manager and a lot around the team and a lot of divergence of opinion. So quite useful to get this um, sort of idea of what's festering out there. But the first one, uh, talking of festering, comes from Roddy Graham. Uh, Roddy is uh, actually a Newcastle fan and uh, he's, he's involved in the By The Minute project. Uh, he asks, and since I've had my say on Freddie Woodman, um, you can take this one, Martin. How much of an impact has Freddie Woodman made so far, bar his penalty heroics last night? Well, we've established that he can't really kick. Other than that, to judge him, he's made some he's made some good saves. There was um, a save in the, the Colmarnock game that was pretty good. He's had a couple of moments in the games that have been impressive. Discounting the penalty heroics, because that's what his time at Aberdeen is going to be remembered for. He'll be one of those that in years gone by, if his career goes on to bigger and better things, he, you know, we'll remember him as being the guy who saved three penalties for us. But there's clearly is a talented goalkeeper there. Um, I don't think he likes really kind of. He's not one of these steaming off his lines kind of keepers. Um, but say so yeah, there is definitely ability in there. Um, I just think that no, he needs to, he, a couple more seasons of coaching in him, um, and they probably will be a far better than we will we have seen anyway. Maybe we were a bit spoiled by Danny Ward, and maybe Danny Ward just had a sort of physicality which really suited this league. But you know, I expected someone to to come in to be kind of of that standard, and I think he certainly played more first team professional games than Danny Ward had by this point, and obviously had the experience of going away with England and uh, and winning at the Under Twenty World Cup. So it, I'm a little bit surprised by how, uh, and yeah, it's not just his kicking; it's his. Uh, Overall nervousness, I would say uh, that he's uh, that he's really 
exuded during his time here. But uh, but no, last night again. Hopefully, he takes the confidence from that and uh, moves on. And even if it is just one more game, it gives us a more confident performance. Next one we'll have is from uh, Fraser Curry, which says, uh, "Should we develop? Be- should we be developing other teams' players at the expense of our own?" Yeah, obviously six loan signings in the team at the moment. I think the Kenny McLean situation's a little bit of a misnomer. I think were it not for the peculiar circumstances that Norwich were keen to tie that up in January, he, he would still be here on a on a full time contract. So, leaving him aside, the other five. I think it depends on what you think McInnes' role at the club should be. If you think that he's just a first-team manager, then his responsibility is to make sure that we win games, as many games as possible. So the best way of doing that is to is to try and bring experienced players in rather than necessarily throwing in a youngster, which uh, has the prospect of maybe damaging him and um, not getting you to where you want to on the pitch. The other hand, does he have overall responsibility for the whole direction of the club? Then yes, he should, he should have a greater concern for introducing some of our younger players. It it needn't be a handicap, that youth. I mean, yeah, we you spoke about Dean Campbell earlier. I mean, there's a guy who's who clearly they've got very high hopes for. I mean, he's captaining the under-20 side right now, despite only still being 17. And he's thought of equally as highly as the guys like Harry Cochran, uh, who's uh, obviously made a big impact at Hearts this season. Just got to hope they've got a plan for Dean, I suppose. Just, I mean, nobody could have predicted that Scott McKenna would be where he is now, based on where he, where he was 12 months ago. 12 months ago, he had just been sent off playing for Air United at Hibs in the Scottish Cup and didn't play again for Air was basically regarded by the air fans as a total liability at centre half. <laughs> it just it, it didn't look as if it was going to happen for Matt Aberdeen, and obviously it needed a it needed a really really bad result at Motherwell in the League Cup for him to get his chance. But he's absolutely grabbed it, and I, I, you know I would hope that that would be the case with some of the other younger players to come through. And I, I don't think that's maybe what we've seen with with some of the some of the young players. They've, they've come in and they've done maybe okay. Without being, you know, wow, we can't, you know, he has to stay in the first team squad. But I can see the frustration when you bring in guys like Dominic Ball on loan and he really doesn't do very much. You bring in guys like, uh, I, I mean, I was quite prepared to write off Norcali, to be perfectly honest, but I thought he, he did make a difference last night. And they haven't really necessarily brought much more to the table than what some of our, our, our younger players could do. Ryan Christie is a slightly different story and, and, and maybe this is the the crux of Fraser's question maybe why are we developing a Celtic player. Ryan Christie is, is beyond, has talent beyond probably what we would be able to bring in permanently. He probably has talent in that role beyond what we might have in the youth team. So I, I think the Christie one can be excused. I think the Greg Stewart one, a proven SPFL player can be excused. You may be looking at the, the Dominic Ball ones and the Wakali ones, and even the Freddie Woodman ones, because obviously Danny Rogers, I think by many, had uh, seemed to have served his time and deserved a chance. So I think there's a couple of different categories. There's a few loan signings we've made in the last few years which have, which have been really special, the Danny Ward one and, of course, the James Madison one. If you've got the opportunity to bring in talent like that, and I think you could maybe bracket Christie in that category, then I think you should jump at it. 
certainly is an interesting one. I mean, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right there, Richard. That there are players who've been brought in, and not just this season as well. There's in the you know, in the past couple of seasons maybe that you know, don't really have any business. You look at and the, the the culprits there. You know, you look at someone like Dominic Ball, who you would like to think that there's someone. In, or in and around the club or available that we could have brought in and made our own player he's been okay in the limited minutes he's had I don't think he's been particularly poor he's been a sort of catch-all term for, for poor recruitment this summer and scattergun recruitment I think there's been a bit of that this this summer this one is um, quite a wide-ranging one from Mark Stephen have we improved or regressed as a team since Derek's first season and what should the rebuilding job consist of in the summer <sighs> <laughs> um, how long do we have? Um, I do think there's been, I do think there has been improvement. There, are, there's obvious improvement. Um, you know, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to start you off on, on the, the football before Derek was, was manager Richard because you know I don't want to send you into a deep coma. Um, but I think we have improved. I think it, it's, it seems at the moment we are in a bit of a slump and the football, you know, we've been struggling and we've spoken in this podcast, you know, about, about creatively not being, being at the top of our game. Um, so at the moment, you know, we, there's, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult to say, but there's definite, definite improvement there. Um, this season has kind of, we've kind of just kind of gotten by, you know, whereas last season it was, we were by far and away the, the second best team in the country and, and we, you know, we were, we couldn't even though we couldn't challenge Celtic because you know, they did this invincible thing that you know nobody has ever done in Scotland or ever will do again probably. I do think there has been improvement there. It's just to think that the standard has dipped this season definitely, um, which is why that there will be a massive rebuilding job in the summer. Now there's there's quite a lot of players going to be probably leaving in the summer. Some of them obviously going back to their parent clubs. Other players who. Um, if you know, there's noises being made that they're not going to be signing new contracts, Anthony O'Connor, for example, being one of those. Um, so there's a huge rebuilding job in the summer, but uh, we have the we have the crux um, and the spine of a very good side there. Year on year, you could definitely argue for improvement until last summer, probably peaking in the second half of last season, because he he was able to keep the core of the same squad together, and he was he was able just to improve. Maybe even if it was just one area per transfer window, you know, he'd go and sign a Shea Logan here or a, or a Joe Lewis here, and you know, it would kind of solve that problem. I think what he's maybe struggled to do since that first season is replace the leadership of uh, Russell Anderson and Barry Robson and what they brought to that team. Those are difficult qualities to kind of replace, I think, um, especially in the marketplace in which we operate. This year. Yeah, it was a, it was a big rebuild job. I think people forget um, how big a job it was, and, and when this happens, it has the potential to go much, much more wrong than it has for us this season. I mean, you've only got to look at Willie Miller's side ahead of season ninety four ninety five. I mean, that was more self inflicted, and he decided a lot of senior players had to be moved on, and we had to try and get a bit more youth and energy in the team. But look what happened there. We went from being second in the table to very nearly relegated. Again, last summer, we, we didn't just lose three players. We'll lose three, three first-team players this, this summer for sure. We'll lose O'Connor, we'll lose Ryan Christie, and we'll lose um, Kenny McLean. Now, arguably, Kenny McLean has become much more key over the past few months, and as his position in the squad has become elevated since those players left last summer as well. And Ryan Christie, he's important to us, but again, he's maybe not moved up to the level of key player. 
Last summer, we lost three key players. Whatever you might think of Iron Jack, he was key to the way we wanted to play. We lost Johnny Hayes and we lost Nam again. They were absolutely central to how Aberdeen played under Derek McInnes, right from day one, right to last summer. So whilst there will definitely have to be a quite another heavy summer of recruitment and maybe also moving on some of the guys under contract, I don't think it will be quite as traumatic a summer as we had last summer. And maybe we might go through a summer without Derek McInnes uh, having a will-he-won't-he situation as well, which, I, which I'm fairly certain would have had an impact as well on the, uh, the signing last season. Now, speaking of Kenny McLean, friend of the show, uh, Christy Keenan, uh, says that Kenny McLean's time here is ending. Are we still underwhelmed or have we revised our opinion? Yeah, because th- we spent a lot of time on the show talking about Kenny McLean, Martin, and uh, he has been probably the best player in the Aberdeen team in 2018. I suppose being on a being you know um, on a bumper contract and taking home all that extra cash will motivate you more. Um, we've debated his best position 114 times on this podcast, however many episodes we've done, and I think we've came to the conclusion that it's somewhere in midfield. Um, <laughs> so um, I don't think we've really seen Kenny put a, a hugely consistent run together in a specific role, which is kind of it's been a, it's been a, a shame because that's why I don't think we've seen the best of him. You know, he's improved in the last couple of months or so, um, but even then he's 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 been over all over the place. He's been you know, he's been tracking back. He's been getting forward. He's been coming out wide. I he's not. I don't think he's. It's fair to say that he's been given a specific role. So we've we've probably no, we've definitely not seen the best of him, uh, which is disappointing. Um, but even then, having not seen the best of him, he still managed to secure himself a move to to Norwich, and though the riches that that will bring, he'll probably leave Aberdeen with one of those kind of with probably like a six six out of ten if you're going to be rating players. Whereas you know he could could have done a lot better. Um, you know, t- a talented player, and when he goes, you'll certainly be we'll certainly wish him all well anyway. I mean, I think he's very technically gifted. I've always thought that. I, I've maybe been more. I had my eyes open more to his um, to his energy and his work rate this season than I've had before. As I've always said, my main frustration with him was that he was bought to play the number 10 role and played that number 10 role for the majority of his time at Aberdeen and he didn't contribute enough goals or assists or, or really involvement in attacking play. I think the manager has shared that same frustration. We sort of carved out a role for him further back the pitch. And he's adapted well. And he adapts well kind of wherever you put him in. I spoke earlier about him being shifted out to, to right wing against Kilmarnock. And he, he's, a, he's a good technical football player and is able to, to do a good job probably across five or six different positions. And that versatility will be difficult to replace. He will make the squad poorer by moving on but he was a frustrating player because yeah I don't think we ever quite got everything out of him we could based on either the way we played him for a couple of years during his first couple of years here or his application at times as well we have our, our next one uh, which came from Glenn Innes which says so next season our midfield looks barren we're still short a left back, and he'd argue that we still need another quality centre half. Do we agree? And what do you think should be our priorities in terms of new players or players brought through? Uh, any names to suggest? But well, midfield, absolutely. Kenny McLean, you know, I think he has to decide how he's going to set up 
next season and make a, make a real call about that and get players ready to, to fit in the roles he wants. I think this season, the plan was to kind of slightly evolve from last season's idea of having that kind of anchor man. Ideally, he would have just gone with, with Shinny and McLean as a midfield two. And he did this for most of the first few games of the season. And instead of we'd had, in the last couple of years, Considine and Logan bombing, you know, pushing forward and Ryan Jack sitting back to become the three, what we saw was Considine moving across to kind of create that back three. Logan was still allowed to go forward. Shinny would move wide to to accommodate the attacking sense. So there was a, there was a subtle change there. I think that all changed once we got hammered at Motherwell, to be perfectly honest. The game after that, we brought back, I don't know if it was O'Connor or Arneson who got placed in that sort of holding midfield role. He did a very reductive role on Louis Moult that day. He repeated the trick, I think, at Easter Road a, a couple of weeks later, just sitting there, killing things off, offering very little creativity. Um, there was a sense of having to almost go back to basics and, and rebuild from a from a stronger base. So we've alternated, I think, since that point in the season between what the original plan was to go just with the two, as we saw last night at Kilmarnock, and again having that holding midfielder in. But recruitment's never a guarantee. I mean, clearly, Greg Tanji was brought in to play a specific role and it's just absolutely not worked out, whether that be through injury, ability, form, whatever it be. Competition at fullback, yep. In an ideal world, I would like someone who's a natural fullback but can actually play right back and left back. That would help us a lot with balance. Names, I mean, there's been some talk about Dylan McGeerke. I think that's probably very unlikely. Uh, also at Hibs, I think Scott Allen would be a very, very good fit if Christie isn't going to happen for next season. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're, we're well behind Hibs in that queue for him too. I think as ever with Derek McInnes, there are two strands to his recruitment. There are guys who have uh, who are known quantities in the SPFL, and then there are people who are not even on anyone's radar who just appear when the Aberdeen account announces it via Twitter. So um, I'm trying to rack my mind and think of players who have left the SPFL to go down south in the last couple of years, and it might be struggling. I think there's a there's a question later. Well, in fact, the next question is about: Do you think any of the current loanees will be at Aberdeen next season? And that's Mike Douglas. There's obviously a possibility around Christie, and I think Greg Stewart probably stands a chance as well. Even if, again, a bit like Kenny McLean, he's not really given us the the end product that we'd like to see. No, he hasn't. Um, yeah, Greg Stewart's a chance. I mean, he does have a chance there because Birmingham are you know are a bit of a shambles. Yeah, they might uh, get so, relegated again. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a there's a possibility. No, there's a possibility they're going to be looking to. Uh, looking to clear clear the decks there, you know, could play in our favour because Stewart's, as you said earlier, Richard, a talented SPFL level level player. Um, a lot of reminds me actually quite a bit of Kenny McLean in that technically very good in the ball, very good at recycling it, but yeah, that that end product has really been lacking. What's given what he did at Dundee is it is a real surprise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, other than that, yeah, Ryan Christie. Um, I don't know if that is just more out of hope than anything. I, I fear that it probably is. Um, I think if we were to try and get Ryan Christie, I think Celtic could probably want all of the Johnny Hayes money back and more. Um, if we were to get him, I, I can't see Aberdeen spending that much money on a player. To be totally honest, um, 
I would be very surprised. It is really, you know, a hope. I mean, as for the rest of them, they'll all be on their way, and pretty much all of them who are on loan um, will be back to their parent clubs, and you know, with the be- with the best wishes. Christie is a difficult one. I don't think he's got any chance of establishing himself in the Celtic first team next season. Genuinely, no. but you look at going okay, Stephen, who again had a year to go of his Celtic contract, and he only cost one hundred and fifty thousand, and arguably Mackay Stephen had done more in the SPFL SPL prior to his Celtic days and uh Ryan Christie had done Christie's obviously got more youth on his side and I think that, that would be the that would be the main difference. And as is always a concern, if he is told that he's uh surplus requirements, then he's um likely to attract interest from the championship as well, who can obviously outbid us. I think there's maybe the one thing that might help now is that clearly the new Scotland manager has shown a, a greater willingness to to pick SPFL-based players, although it is only a friendly squad. So uh, maybe that might work in our favour to a small extent. And also the fact that Christie's age means that he is only still 22-23. He can come here for a couple of years and still get maybe that move to a higher level championship club than he might get right now. Yeah. Our next one was from the account at Discuss Dandies, which was uh, Derek McInnes mentioned post the Kilmarnock game that this was his first season with his new team. He thought the culmination of the last team was the Scottish Cup final, which we mentioned earlier on. Um, with us losing so many players in the summer, do you feel we will continue to have this problem of gelling for every season from now on? And I guess, I guess, Richard, that comes from on from having all the loan players coming in as well. With so many loan players coming in, it makes it difficult to rebuild. You know, when you look at some of the squads we've put out. Um, you know, there's no problem having one or two, but when you've got a first eleven player like Ryan Christie, and then you look at the bench, and half of them are low knees, I suppose it does mean that Derek McInnes will struggle to to build long term with a, a, a squad that is able to compete regularly. Yeah, it was very much against the grain that we were able to hold on to everyone we wanted to hold on to basically until last summer. And um, then it kind of all came crashing down. This summer we're going to lose three first-team players. And uh, one of them's kind of already gone, Kenny McLean. One of them was never ours in the first place, Ryan Christie. The other one's Anthony O'Connor, who, well, let's just say we've covered him on this podcast. And um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I don't think O'Connor's likely to be that difficult to replace and bear in mind that obviously we've got Michael Devlin who's coming from Hamilton and I have to assume that he will be the first year centre-half pairing along with Scott McKenna should he still be here next summer so so I think that's that's kind of taken care of Kenny McLean might be a difficult one to replace Greg Doherty would have been a brilliant signing for that role to be perfectly honest but I don't think we were ever likely to be able to tear him away from uh, from Ibrox and then you've got Ryan Christie who yeah we might see back here we might not as I say it was a huge huge turnaround and I think we've actually done whilst we maybe aren't where we want to be as fans and supporters and maybe even less so in terms of league position and points, just in terms of performances, we've not been convincing, really, apart from a handful of occasions this season. But we have still picked up a reasonable, reasonable amount of, amount of points. And I can understand 
the fact that currently six of our first team are on loan lends itself to this worry, this short-termism. But I think when you see, during the course of this season, we've extended Joe Lewis's contract to 2020. We've extended Shea Logan's contract to 2020, also that's maybe looking like the, not the best idea in the world uh, right at this minute. Michael Devlin signed to 2021. Stevie Mays here at 2021. Now McGinn's come back in and at 30-odd's been given a contract to 2021. And then, of course, Scott McKenna uh, to 2023. You have to hope as well that we can get Graham Shinney tied down for another couple of years and Guy Mackay Stephen, I think, probably deserves another season or two as well. And again, it gives you it gives you a good, strong core. Uh, to um, to work with and hopefully eight first team regulars still being here you're you're just adding and hopefully trying to fix some problems as opposed to the the wholesale uh, change to the way we we play in and what we were that happened this summer next up is Ross Jessamine uh, who asks if uh, do we think it's wrong for McInnes to be so transparent with regards to seeing us on, as an audition for England? And if so, at what point does it become disrespectful? Had he already not told Sunderland where to go, I'd be a more, I'd be more annoyed um, at the comments. I mean, I think when in the interview that JJ did with him, um, he was perfectly right to ask the question. And McInnes, and no, it's um, I suppose at least at least he was honest rather than. You know, perhaps you no know, sneaking around and looking for moves that you no know, we don't know about because you no know, we know that the management team don't like to let you no know, news and gossip and tittle tattle get out there. I guess it's like I guess you can see McInnes is biding his time and he's if he's willing to wait for the right option. I suppose you could look at it two ways. I like to think it's partly because he's happy here. He, I think he's a he's a clever guy. He knows that. Uh, another failure in England, which his time at Bristol was, it was a failure. Um, would make him damage goods. He is eventually he's going to leave. Everybody does, you know. That's just how the nature of football. I'd I'd rather he was honest than sort of just you know any time a job comes up or you know we see I don't know some team sack their some championship team sack their manager. Probably see McInnes linked with some other names, but you know I would like him to stay and build the era that we spoke about earlier on. Um, but you know he's going to go eventually, so um, we kind of just have to deal with it. I mean, there's a lot of things which are adding into some people's current frustrations with it, with the manager, and some of it's completely out of his hands. Some of it's based on frustration with the club as a whole regarding the the stadium move and things like that. Some of it is based on just this modern football thing about needing to change every couple of years to freshen things up, um, which is regrettable but but inevitable, I suppose. He's going to be ambitious. I think right now, I think he still has ambitions for Aberdeen that he feels he can that he, that he feels he can reach, and he probably would like to leave us on a, more of an upswing than we are right now. To be perfectly honest, is it disrespectful to say that he's still got ambitions? Is it disrespectful to to say that one day he would like to move back to England? I don't particularly think so. I think he has been driven and focused in this current job. The distraction of the Sunderland. Thing, and certainly the distraction of the Rangers approach were the worst things about those was were how long they dragged on and certainly with the Rangers one it was pretty much out of his hands I think to some degree we had a whole month basically of the Rangers scrambling around for the money to try and trigger his release clause and with the speculation going on in the background he is in a difficult situation though I think the interest from England 
isn't going to be automatic just because he does a good job up here. The Sunderland situation, you've got to remember that Martin Bain was the chief executive there, so he's going to know, he's going to have more of an idea of the job that Derek McInnes has done and how, how impressive that is. And there is this fact that finishing top three, finishing second, getting to cup finals becomes less and less of a standout the more often you do it. So it's, you know, you're, you're not as eye-catching. You know, if Alec Neal had spent another 12 months at Hamilton, there's no way he gets a move. You know what I mean? He, he, he moves at exactly the right time for him to to reach the pinnacle of his possible potential career. Derek McKenna must be wondering if maybe last summer was the right time to move, but Sunderland definitely weren't the right club. And I, I think he's still cares enough about his career not just to jump at the at the at the next available opportunity. It's one that will continue to be there. I think we've called it the new normal before and uh, I think it'll be lessened this summer than it was last summer, definitely. Unless we go and win the cup, in which case, you know, if that, if that's the price worth paying for us winning the cup this season, frankly you can have a different Championship club line up on every single day of the summer holidays, and I wouldn't care. <laughs> the next one we had in was um, well, we had, a, we had an image sent in from Car Handel with um, "Is this the lineup for the semi-final or what?" He's named uh, an Aberdeen starting eleven, which is pretty much contains every fit and available player other than Scott Wright. Um, which is you know for the starting eleven, and we've got Joe Lewis and Goal Richard, uh, Dominic Ball at right back, Arneson and McKenna, Considine in defence. Uh, the midfield of O'Connor and Nakali. Then we'll have ahead of them Mackay, Stephen, Christie, McGinn, and then Adam Rooney. Yeah, quite, quite simply, I think that's probably what it's going to be, unless people force their way into that lineup. And I'm talking, you know, Stevie May or, or Greg Stewart in particular, who do appear to be the sort of next most likely to to get some game time between now and then. Yeah, in an ideal world, I would I would have O'Connor. Well, it's not it's not ideal, but in an ideal world, I wouldn't have O'Connor in centre midfield. Is what I'm no, saying. No. I would have him at centre back because I think that's where he causes least damage. Um, equally, in an ideal world, I would have out of the available options, I would have Dominic Ball in centre midfield. But we need someone to play right back. I, I think by a process of elimination, that is what's going to be going to be the lineup. Uh, the only caveat would be the potential for for Stevie May to to put his hand up, or Greg Stewart to maybe put his hand up. Because, you know, we've played Greg Stewart on the right. I don't see why Greg Stewart couldn't play the 10 role. Especially lately, with the setup, we've not been asking Ryan Christie really to do too much defensively. I think that's always no. been the concern with Greg Stewart, that he wouldn't be able to do that much defensively and doesn't track back from right midfield. So I don't really see why Greg Stewart couldn't play that 10 role. He obviously played more centrally at Dundee and it was more of a roaming kind of freedom that you had than Ryan Christie might have in the current Aberdeen team but I certainly think there's potential there but he, he's simply not been played in that role Christie has been a, a pretty regular starter this season when available and um, maybe the time is coming now to to jolt him a little bit and, and, and make that change but yeah I, I think that's probably pretty much on the money of what we'll see that day I, I just hope that we don't see a three, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> Said every Aberdeen fan ever since 1994. Um, 
Next up is is again Kenny McLean Martin. Is his best position playing in the hole as a holding midfielder, playing right scrum half a deep mid wicket? Asks uh, the Dandy Dons uh, on Twitter. Go on then. I think I've had my say. Where, where do you think he looks best? And give me a name for that uh, role. When I've seen him do what I would say has been his best, he's sort of been. He's sort of been sort of, nobody. Well, nobody seems to be box to box anymore, so it's not fair to call it that. Um, it just seems to be that he, he gets shifted about in games, so it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to say. I think he probably has done his done his best work when he's been been holding for for us as well. Shinny will get forward and contribute more, and he'll try to stay back. And those two guys will maybe swap during swap during the game. The truth is, no, I, I no, I wasn't. Wasn't being totally sarcastic earlier on. Um, the answer is just you no. Know, somewhere in midfield, it's kind of it's really hard to tell where his best position is going to be. He's not really staked a claim for one of those, which is why it's so disappointing um, that you know, okay, he's, he's, he's leaving for a, for for a, for a, you know, more riches in a bigger league, but he's not really staked a claim to be in you no know, a set position in Aberdeen. For he's just he's one of the better players and he plays all the time, but he's just he's a midfielder. I often posited that Peter Pollitt worked best as a number 10 when there was a proper big guy as a striker who drew defenders away and gave Pollitt a bit more space. And obviously Kenny McLean flourished at St Mirren playing with Stephen Thompson, playing that um, striker role. So so maybe it's still number 10, it's just that we've had a different type of striker uh, during the time that he's been here. Next one, after McInnes saying a youngster uh, Getting a run in the team can improve beyond recognition. Obviously, Scott McKenna being the, the case in point. Why is he not giving more youngsters a sustained run? That's from young man Ian. It's a brilliant question, to be totally honest. Um, other than other than Scott McKenna, yeah, nobody's really nobody's really had a run in the team. But I don't think anybody's really staked a claim for for making themselves a starter. You know, you've seen Scott Wright has been. He's came on. He's done. He's played well in some games, and he's showed flashes of brilliance. But then in other games, you no, know, he's been he's been a bit of a passenger. Um, you've seen other guys get you no know, half chances here and there. Obviously, we saw Frank Ross's screamer of a freak against the Rangers. And I guess none of them have really had the, had a run. So it's it's unfair to say none of them have stated a claim because none of them have really had the run, and that's the issue. Uh, which which I do understand. A lot of people have frustrations about McInnes. Is a perfectly valid perfectly valid criticism, which. Um, you know, among the many things that he does get criticised for, I think that is a is a fair one. I mean, I'll be honest; I've not been to any of the the, the reserve games, under twenty games, whatever you want to call them. Um, so, I mean, I don't know how good these guys, these younger guys are. Um, if they were, if they were showing some real promise in those games where they thought they would be able to get minutes, they'd be they'd be playing. They're obviously not going to play. No, we're not going to start blooding people in a semi final. Against Motherwell, but you know you'd like to think that you know there's a place for these players, and um, it does. It is a worry that, especially when earlier on we spoke about a rebuild, you know, in the summer, and we're going to have to bring in players, and there's going to be all these guys leaving. Doesn't look like there's you know a, a huge influx of youth able to just step in and say right now I'm I'm part of this match day 15, 16, and I will be, and you know when I get my chance, I'm going to take it. Nobody seems to be there. I'd like him to be braver on this front, absolutely. I, I think it's something that all fans like to see anyway. They'd like to see players come through your youth system and uh, do well. I think maybe the experience with Cammy Smith in his first 
couple of seasons has maybe um, impacted that to some degree. I mean, ultimately, also a lot of them were substitute appearances. Cammy Smith played nearly 100 times for Aberdeen and um, unfortunately didn't really have too much to show for it. There was a guy with a lot of the right technical attributes, looked good in the ball, busy-looking player, and has gone out to do a, a good job for St Mirren in the Championship. You were a team who was looking to finish in the, at the top end of the table each year, looking to get to cup finals. He needed a bit more from his starters than he needed for, than he got from Cammy Smith, and I, and I do wonder how that's impacted. And then of course you get kids who look great at sixteen, seventeen, and then basically piss it up against the wall. Uh, we're mentioning no names there apart from Craig Story. Anyway, um, <laughs> and yeah, Dan McInnes' first home game, he gave a sixteen-year-old Craig Story his debut, and. I don't think it's... Clearly, it's not just Paul Sheeran's idea to give Dean Campbell the responsibility of captain in the under-20s at, at age 17. You hope there's a plan for some of the best talent. You can't say that, you know, just because no one has moved on to become a success, that that's that's a reason for not giving them a chance at an earlier age because they could have really grown as players if they got the, the exposure at a younger age. I'm not sure as a club we've been great at it. I mean, even look at Ryan Fraser. He was given his debut by Mark McGee and then basically two years at the first team action until Craig Brown suddenly fires him in and he has four or five months of great football, except the problem is that he's now only got nine months left in his contract. So we lose him for, for pennies, basically. Some managers in some situations are going to be forced into playing a youngster and it works out. And I think that was a situation we got with with Scott McKenna. And it's worked out very well. Some of them will do it for political reasons. I think that's what's happened basically with Craig Levine. I think he's gone in there. And I think to try and get the fans off his back, off his team's back, he's thrown a couple of kids in there knowing that they'll get a bit more leeway. I don't think we've needed to do that at any point in the McKenna era. I think it's been about performance and ability both on a training pitch and what you can do during a match. I would like to see him be a bit braver, but equally we'd be we'd be furious if, if we dropped stupid points or lost silly games because a kid comes in and makes a makes an avoidable mistake that a senior player might not be. So it's I can understand it's a difficult situation that he's in as far as that goes. I just hope that with some of the talent coming through that we we, we guide them better as a football club as a whole. Yeah, well, I think that's fair. that's very fair, Richard. Um, a lot to be a lot to be done for. I think it's, it, it doesn't just come from the manager. I think it comes comes from the top to the top of the club right down. Uh, our next one uh, comes from Ben Muck, who says Derek McInnes always adjusts his team to take account of opposition tactics in big big games, which we know we're referring to games against Celtic and the Rangers. There, uh, often to bizarre effect. Why don't why doesn't he play the way we want to discuss? Well, largely, I think, against Celtic because he doesn't believe that we have good enough players to beat Celtic playing the way that we want to. He's done that a few times against the Rangers, but notably, most recently at Ibrox, he went with 4-2-3-1, regular setup, regular players, and they went up to it. They didn't perform. You had, you had Guy McKay Stephen miss a great chance at 0-0 to put us ahead, and then they just didn't react to going behind 
it was truly pitiful that day. In the game at Elno, lose a goal and absolutely nothing from the team on the park. I think that might also be a turning point in how he sets up against other Rangers team playing under Graham Marty in future. Because again, he might think, well, I gave these guys the opportunity playing that system, playing four two three one, and it just didn't happen. More of the head puzzlers for me are games which you might not necessarily consider big teams. Like that, the setup the other week at Easter Road was was bizarre. I guess the Ibs team that we comfortably dealt with everything that they had to offer. The last couple of times we played them, we decided to go with a completely different system and it never, ever looked like working. You have to acknowledge that Hibs played very well that day, especially their midfield three, but it, it was a real disappointment and a real surprise. And I think there are times when he does try and overthink what the opposition can provide without thinking, well, OK, it's up to the opposition to try and stop us. Games against Celtic and games against teams who are clearly technically better than us, I understand why he's willing to try lots of different things. Next is a bit of a, a kind of what-if scenario from Martin Ingram. 2008-2009 season, Jimmy Calderwood's last in charge of Aberdeen. Scottsdale quarter-final replay, uh, Aberdeen obviously lose to Dunfermline, uh, first division. And would have, as we said earlier, played Falkirk in the semi-final for the right to make it to Hamden. And back then, getting to the final was the important thing. We didn't even necessarily think about winning because we just hadn't been in the final for so long. Uh, league form dissipates and we, we finished back in fourth. I, I think we were probably in fourth or fifth at that point anyway. Enough for Europe, but ultimately Jimmy Calderwood loses, loses his job. How close do you think Derek McInnes was to a similar fate? Had we gone out? Last night, I think that there would have been a lot more rumbling. Um, we've seen a lot of rumbling. I know. I mean, the guys that sit around me at the games in the south, though, there, there are there are quite a few dissenters there. Um, you know, some people aren't happy happy with with the manager. You can definitely tell. You can definitely tell that if you go out, if you go out, if you went out of the cup, um, I think that would have, that would have got even louder. And I think, but I mean, I don't think it would have been. Um, I don't think it would have been a case of you no. Know, at the end of the season, McInnes would have. Would have been relieved of his duties anyway. There would have certainly been an issue with the support getting getting on his back without question, uh, but I don't think it would have been anything in the way of um, it's maybe time for him to move on. We're still there or thereabouts, you no know, challenging for the position that we want to be in in the league. He was anywhere near um, a Jimmy Calderwood situation. You no, know, in twelve months' time, if this was to happen, if we don't finish second this season, for example. If somehow if we finish third or even if we do or don't get to the cup final this season, in twelve months' time you go out the cup to you know perhaps a lower league team, then there's going to be questions asked, and then I think they'll um, the the support will really be getting on their back, and then we might have a decision to make. It's about the relationship as well between the chairman, I think, and the manager too. I think back in Jimmy Calderwood, obviously Stuart Mellon left that side of things to to Willie Miller. Willie Miller was probably ambitious enough, as we saw during his time as a manager, to think that it was worth rolling the dice and worth trying to build on what we had and uh, try and see if someone could come in and uh, take us to that fabled next level. It's a different relationship between, obviously, Stuart Milne and Derek McInnes. You'd have to be in a situation where where you've got a kind of Alex Smith-like situation where you're you are clearly free-falling and clearly not meeting your um, pre-season uh, objectives. 
before the before he would lose his before he would come close to losing his job. Worst case scenario, we'd lost last night and then finished out the European positions and Motherwell won the cup or whatever. Uh, this season, you know, maybe he might have gone in that scenario. Stuart Milne, whilst this is whilst this stadium stuff is going on, craves stability in the manager situation, which is why he's been so so keen to hang on to him. Uh, the yeah. twice that uh, other teams have come calling in the last twelve months, obviously a, a bond which is which has worked in our favour over those approaches. Um, but yeah, there is obviously a potential for it working against us by holding on to a guy should things unravel too long. If you look back through history, you can argue that, for example, Willie Miller was maybe kept on too long because of who he was, because things were were clearly unravelling, and certainly. In the past, there's other ex- other examples of that as well. Obviously, it's a, it's a entirely hypothetical situation because we did win last night. If you can't get just pure enjoyment out of a result like that, and there were some people who clearly weren't, then I don't know what you're doing <laughs> following in a football match. It was it was great last night. It was a game that I was really worried about. Okay, on paper. Kilmarnock, if you use the budget logic, which we've excused a lot of McInnes' results against Celtic previously, you should say we should be, be beating Kilmarnock every single time. You know, they're the form team in the country. It was a game in which, yes, the pressure was on us. It had been building up, it had been building up four poor performances in a row. Wasn't pretty. Wasn't pretty last night, but if you can't get pure joy out of a moment like that uh, winning save last night and really enjoy that moment and really proud of a team who went a goal down in extra time and clung on to still being in this cup and still having a chance of winning the cup. I don't know what you're doing watching football, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) Uh, We have our next one, uh, which is from John Moore, uh, which is a very simple one, Richard, for you here. Um, What is our best eleven? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, if Derek McInnes doesn't know, I'm not sure why we should <laughs> we should have to tell you. Let, okay, let's start from the back. Joe Lewis is clearly the best goalkeeper. Yeah, I think Scott McKenna clearly plays at centre half. Out yep. of the centre, other centre halves that have featured this season, Anthony O'Connor plays there. To be perfectly honest, I, I think Kyrie Anderson has not been where we want him, where we want Kyrie Anderson to be um, when he's played at centre half. Unfortunately, this season. Shea Logan is still our best right back, even if it's by default. I still play Andy Constantine at left back because I want Graham Shinney in that midfield. I want Kenny McLean in that midfield alongside him. Um, up top, I think if you want a focal point in your, if you want your striker to always be in the box, which I kind of do, I want Adam Rooney there behind him. I think it really depends on form. I think we've got some we've got some talented players, some good SPFL level players behind him, but I think there should be much more rotation based on form. Um I think we've seen um Guy McKay Steven drop out of the team on form a couple of times this season, but we haven't seen Ryan Christie really drop out of the team on form and since he's come back we haven't seen Nam again drop out of the team on form because again that's another thing to note that he's not been great these last few weeks. When it comes to strikers, there's much more of an argument about recent form and how it impacts their confidence. Whereas at the back, you want stability, you want people to build connections and relationships, and you look for a bit more stability there. But I think up front, you, there's much more of a, a discussion. It's much more fluid as to, as to who you pick. 
Yeah. Uh, by the minute, Celtic are good close personal terms. By the minute, Celtic, the cheeky bastards. If we beat you again this season, do we get to keep you? Aye, okay. The uh, thing is, I look at the league now, Martin. I don't even care about the Celtic results because I just think they're they're generally operating on a different plane. Yeah, they're not playing the way they were last season. No, they're, no, they've lost. They've lost some a game. They're not going to be undefeated or invincible, whatever you want to call it. Um, so they, though they are, they are beatable. Though they, they can be gotten to on their day, but you know, they're so far ahead, unfortunately, of the rest of us. The, the most te- the telling thing is last season our best player was Johnny Hayes. Johnny Hayes's most telling contribution for them this season is he wrote a Cheltenham column for the club rag. You know, he's done nothing for them this season. So that, it kind of tells you where they are and where we are. That hurts to even admit that. But just unfortunately, no, you have to be in the real world and say, unfortunately, we're playing for second place. I don't like it. No, we we have gotten closer to them in the past. Mainly when, okay, before Rogers came in as manager, we did get there where there was a race, despite what you know, they might like to admit. No, there was a title race, but yeah. Do they get to keep us? Well, after all their sm- after all the by the minute Celtic guys smart arse talk at the end of last season, I thought they kept us last season, so it's good to see that they can ha- they can have a laugh. Um, of the players available this season and contract to the club next, who should form the basis of next year's team? Okay. Um, well, you look at you look at who we have, right? The old Manny in me will say that well, we've got a, we've got a very good spine of a team. Um, you've just named sort of the best eleven there, so you go. I mean, you look through it, you know. So if you build through a spine, you've got Lewis, McKenna, and Devlin. You've got Shinney, um, Niall McGinn, and then you've got up front a, a pick of May and Rooney. There is a basis there already um, of guys. You know, are six or seven there at the very least that you can name as a that create a spine of a team, and then you've got the guys around it. And we have spoken about you no know, who we can replace and who we want in. You know, a, a, a full back who can operate on the left or the right. Would be would be desirable as you mentioned, Richard. Fair enough. And then, but you've got the rest of the guys who just need to be need to be pulling their pulling their weight, like Mackay Stevens, Scott Wright. Unfortunately, this season I don't think they've really gelled. It's about who you add um, in the summer or who is willing to step up from you know the fringes. Yeah, and I think you have guys that were brought in last summer that maybe haven't hit the heights this season. Uh, and Guy McCarthy is a good example. He's he's got a decent return of goals, a decent return of assists, but they tend to come in clusters, and there'll be all too many games where he he just isn't there. You you don't see him at all. But second year into his career, more settled. Stevie May is another one, and um, let's just cover this one from Rory Stewart. How do you solve a problem like Stevie May? Well, I think it's a little bit unfair right now because he's he's obviously come back from. What was a niggling, awkward injury that he picked up with Ryan Jack's challenge? And he, he's not looked at his best the last four or five games that he's played. I thought there were signs definitely last night at Rugby Park. But prior to that injury, he played played in 16 games and he got five goals, which is not, not a horrendous start to, to life, is it? It's not... It's not miserable. I thought we were, we were all quite excited by the Stevie May signing. There's been a real rush to um, to write him off, which which is ridiculous because players d- do sometimes need time to bed in, to settle down. The best example of that is Gordon Strachan. But of course you wonder in this day and age whether players or managers will ever get that time that they need to settle down. No, I think that's fair. No, it was a very really bad injury he had as well. And he's came came up here. He signed no, a decent contract. He's looking to looking to get his you no know, his football career back on track um, at a very good side. 
people would be hypercritical of Adam Rooney if he'd only scored that amount of goals, which is on which I think would be would it would be you no know, has been unfair anyway. I think you know Rooney gets a hard time for his goal scoring return return when he when he goes on dry spells, um, or he only scores against the lesser teams apparently. But yeah, the Stevie May thing is. It's an interesting one. I mean, there's clearly a really good player in there. I am, I'm really, I'm really glad he's at Aberdeen. Yeah, and he's still only just 25. Um, my concern is that when he plays, Adam Rooney doesn't. Stevie May does more of his work outside the box, so we do tend to lack that focal point. So finding a consistent way in which they can, they can both feature in that 11, or making Stevie May a more effective and reliable out and out front man might be might be key to getting the best out of Stevie May because uh, I mean obviously at St Johnston he he was alongside that old warhorse Stephen McLean so patience has got to be the key with Stevie May especially after such a long time out injured prior to coming here it's not something which you often get in football though as we're seeing with too many people just desperate to to write him off and finally martin to bring this bumper show to an end why are the aberdeen public so disgruntled with mckinnis <laughs> and what is the realistic expectations for us the remainder of this season and on to next next asks ian noble well realistically what do i expect this season second place and the scottish cup I don't think that's totally unrealistic at all to to expect that. Okay, so that that's that's the target. But what would you accept? What would I accept? Um, I wouldn't accept. I mean, personally, um, I would accept one of second or the Scottish Cup. It has to be one or the other because I think to, if you lose the Scottish Cup final and then finish third, if the season would be seen as a failure. I think that okay, the Rangers have made some improvements. And that's not to say who you're going, who would if we do get through the semi final. Um, that's not to say, of course, who you would get in the final. No, it will be one of Celtic or the Rangers, obviously. Um, but um, to finish to finish the third in the league um, and then to not win a cup would be would be would be failure. Um, and I think McInnes would be would be judged on that quite harshly. What I want, obviously, is you know I want us to I want us to win everything. I want us to win every game, but that's not realistic. You have to talk yourself down off of, out of the cloud sometime. The Scottish Cup for me would be would be the realistic. If we win that, I would be more accepting of third, but I would still be quite disappointed. It's okay to be disappointed at third, I think, and if if that were to be the case, but you give him no grace whatsoever for the fact that there's been a considerable rebuild this summer. This last well, last summer. No, I mean obviously you do get some grace, and I think that you know we've not stuck our flags to the mast at all in this podcast. But I'm not in the McInnes out camp at all. I think you know he deserves, he deserves you no. Know, again, there's this phrase again, credit. He's got credit in the bank. I certainly wouldn't be you no know, judging him, but I just I, I know from you know, what you read, what you hear, what you're talking to other people, uh, that they're. There are people who are are very negative on him already, for some of the issues we've covered so far already in the podcast about tactics and things like that, and obviously the saga with the Rangers earlier in the season as well, which which could be the thing that proves proves the kind of the, the pivot point of the season where we're surrendering those six points to them. The target for me would still be to win to win one win the cup or be second. Part of Ian's question is why. Are the Aberdeen public so disgruntled? I know I have a lot of roots to that. We've we've touched on some of them. Obviously, the record against Celtic, the record against the Rangers this season, uh, even the failure to beat Hearts has been has been thrown up apparently. And obviously, not 
getting beyond the third qualifying round in Europe has, is, has been a frustration for some people, despite how tricky making an impact in that tournament is going to be. Then you have things such as the, the stadium issue, people looking, people being upset with the club as a whole on the back of that. You have the fact that uh, he was willing to entertain an approach from Ibrox, which put a lot of people's noses out of joint. I mean, hell, some people were against him right from the start simply because of the fact that he used to play for Rangers. Lest we forget that, and without naming particular names. Second part of The final part of Ian's question is, what about next season when... We know there'll be some turnover in the summer, but it shouldn't necessarily need to be the change to the way in which we operate that we had last season. So, so what's realistic for next season? With obviously, Hibs are, have come up and, and looked strong. Hearts are going to have a decent amount of money behind them as well, although Craig Levine's in charge there, and things are going a bit, bit wrong for him right now, which obviously pleases us greatly. Uh, and then you have the the club operating out of Highbrooks continuing to spend money they don't have. So what about next season? What's realistic for next season? We know we know what will happen at Celtic Park. You know they'll have they have all this the Champions League money. They'll continue to spend money. As I say, they, they, I take them out of the equation. Yeah, that's the thing. No, we know what will happen there. The targets that you set. I mean, you always you no. Know, I think you no. Know, we should always be aiming at the in the current climate. We should always be aiming for second minimum. Should be getting to. Semi-finals and finals, but Europe, I think, is the one that you know it starts. That's early in the season, or before any of the cups for us begin. You know, we're going to be talking about the Europa League. Um, it's very difficult to get through there. You know, we've performed well. You know, we've we've beaten some, we've had some decent results. We've lost to some decent sides as well. This season was very disappointing. Um, going out to Limassol, I think if we were to get through to the next stage, we don't get a stage further than we did this season. I wouldn't say that would be no is is like a trophy, but it's a big achievement. It's 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 stacked right against us. European football is something that Aberdeen Football Club are, are we do that. No, we we should be in in Europe every season. It should be a bare minimum. And um, that is certainly one thing that it should be a target for any manager coming in, whether it be Derek McInnes or whether when he leaves the next manager. Um, so I'd like to see one of the one of the targets for me next season is to get one step further in Europe at the very least. Okay, and that is uh, two hours after we started this thing. Um, <laughs> is the uh, is the last of our questions? Thank you very much for that. Um, we ex- we I probably expected a lot more direct abuse uh, when I put that suggestion out on Twitter about half past five this evening. But uh, every question was actually quite sensible and had a point, and even. Those who have been probably spending the last couple of weeks crafting their McInnes out banners uh, actually kept it to a specific uh, rational point because there are, regardless of you know how much of a um, well the the term happy clapper has been has been thrown about a lot. It's a, it's a daft term, uh, but I think there are perfectly rational criticisms you can make of Derek McInnes and his time here and perfectly rational questions that you can ask about future direction of the club under him. Hopefully that was something a little bit different to the usual show and um, you know we'll, we'll maybe revisit that at some point in the future. So my thanks to Martin Clunas who is about to rest his voice now I suspect. I am indeed. Thank you very much, Richard. Thank you. Yeah, and I'll probably not speak again until I see you next week. Here's to a three points against Dundee and getting back in the groove on Saturday. Come on, you Reds. 